Yes, you've arrived at the Legend Podcast at DaxMyHand.com. How did I become a legendary sports figure? How does anyone become legendary? It starts with a coach. Join us as we have conversations with coaches of all ages, experience, and expertise, and find out what does it take to lead athletes to legendary status. And I saw this left-handed pitcher out there, and he was mowing them down left and right. Coach Jim Mizell, legendary coach from Lone Oak High School, uh, 35 years. Listen to this resume. 35 years at Lone Oak. He had a record of 594 wins, 383 losses, uh, one regional title, eight runner-up regionals. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's 18th on the all-time uh, wins record in Kentucky High School baseball. Coach, good to have you. Well, thank you, Dax. It's good to be here. Well, Coach, you know, we like to start off these these sessions, especially if it's someone I know pretty well, and, and we ask them one simple question that I think the, the world wants to know. When did you first meet the legend? Uh, Dax, I first met you when you was in eighth grade. You uh, beat out one of my baseball players for the uh, American Legion team. He wanted to know why, and I said, well, I guess he's pretty good. And then I went and watched you play, and I said, yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah. Well, good. That, that's, that, I hate that I beat out one of your guys, yeah. but I'm glad it worked out for me, obviously, <laughs> pretty well. And, and, you know, you and I, we, we've been around a lot each other, right, with each other. I know, you know, I didn't play for you, uh, and we really didn't play all that often. Mm-hmm. You know, we played you some, but uh, but I guess really we got to know each other probably in Legion Ball was kind of where I first really remember being around you. You would come out. Uh, to the Legion quite a bit, check on your guys and everything, and, and we spent quite a bit of time there. Right, and I used to umpire. Yeah. Yeah, I used to umpire a lot. Yeah, that's right. Well, well, Coach, let's go back. Let's let's talk about young Jim Mizell. Um, where'd you grow up at? Where uh, where were you from? Okay, I'm originally from Metropolis, Illinois. I graduated, went to, uh, from high school, went to uh, Paducah Community College, and then from there to Murray State. I uh, played baseball one year at Paducah, well, it was Paducah Junior College mm-hmm. at the time. And we got to wear the old Indian, old chief uniforms. They were hot wool. And had the big chief on the, <laughs> on the thing. And then they, of course, uh, they evolved. It's just like when I first went to Lono. They had the old Pittsburgh pirate style, sleeveless uniform, wool, gray, <laughs> hot. That changed real quick. Yeah. What was it about those old wool uniforms? It seemed like everybody had them back then. What what made them so great back then? It was a major league. You know, it was the major league. It was it was the same cut, the same style, and they wore wool. And then, of course, everything changed. Went to cotton and rayon, and uh, all the different types of new materials that come out with and. Somebody wised up and said, these people are, are burning up out there in these uniforms, right. didn't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, they said, well, they're sleeveless. I said, yeah, they're sleeveless, but they're wool, and you got to wear sleeves. And, of course, you itch if you didn't. Yeah. And um, then they had the old wool stockings and our leggings, and it was just, I mean, it was, it was, it was really back in the old days. Yeah. Well— Talk about what are some of your earliest memories of sports? What what attracted you to sports? What are, you, what are the things you remember as a kid that, that made you really become, I guess, a sports fan and eventually want to coach sports? It used to. We had a lot of snow. And when we had a lot of snow, we'd go play backyard football. 
And I had several cousins that lived close to me, and there were some other kids. And we'd all get together and just play. And we'd play baseball from daylight to dark. I mean, it was just a, it was just a thing. Well, back then, I guess it was more stickball. We'd get an old broomstick and try to hit a tennis ball or whatever we could find. And, and we were there all day. And, of course, back in those days, you weren't late for supper, but you had to break up your game. That's what we did. I mean, it was uh, if it was 110 degrees or if it was 80 degrees or if it was 60, we were out there playing baseball or football or basketball. Now, you, you said you went to Murray State. Uh, was Coach Reagan at Murray he in those days? Yes. Or, did you have any exposure to him or, or anything? I, I did. I did, uh, well, especially when I started coaching. Mm-hmm. See, I came to Alone uh, Oak, started teaching in 72, 73. The first year I was there, the golf coach's wife was involved in an automobile accident, so she was going to need a lot of treatment. So the principal said, would you be the golf coach? And I said, sure. And I was at, and I helped. I was assistant football, and I helped baseball when I didn't have a golf match, and I was gone a lot. My first year as at Lone Oak, our baseball coach left. And went to PCC, and principal said, you want to be a baseball coach? And I said, okay. So, so really, you didn't come out of college with the, with the inkling or mindset that, hey, I want to be a coach. You kind of really just happened into it. Was that a fair statement? Well, it's, uh, I, was, I was coaching football, mm-hmm. and I did my student teaching at Reedland, and I had the Snow Twins and all of them, and a real good football team that were coming in as freshmen. Of course, I went to Lone Oak. I started at Lone Oak and stayed there all 36 years of teaching. I know the first year when I coached against Reedland, they were saying, but you were our coach. I said, I was. I was, but I got hired at Lone Oak. So who would, uh, going back to Reedland, who were you coaching under when you first started uh, at Reedland? Bernie Brent. Bernie Brent. That's Brent. what I was, I was thinking you probably were. So he was my high school coach, and he was my supervising teaching teacher at Reedland. Pretty tough guy, wasn't he? I had yeah. I had Mr. Brent at Reeland as well. Right. Now, when I played football for him, he would come out with a sweatshirt with the sleeves cut out, a pair of shorts, and a helmet, and run the ball against first-team defense. And then get up and, and smack you upside him and say, you can't hit no harder than that. <laughs> Yeah, he. Uh, I think he was. You know, he told me that he was, and I've seen it in the Murray record books. He was all OVC on offense and defense, defense. when he was there. It was prior to the face mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, a tough customer. He's another. He's a guy that we've talked about that we really need to get on here and, and talk to. So yeah, that, it's funny. I, I wondered when you said Reedland. I thought I bet he he was a Brent uh, guy. So so you get to coaching baseball, and I guess go back to that period of time and kind of. Kind of give us, describe to us what baseball was like in Western Kentucky at that time, high school baseball. How, how it's different than today? Well, the main thing was, like I told you earlier, we went to Reedland. I drive, drive the bus, pull up, and I said, where's the ballpark? There was no fences. There was a backstop. But the dugout was a little bench, not very big, didn't sit high off the ground, and there was no fences and the elementary school was there. I mean, when you hit the ball, you just got all you could get. Yeah, just it rolled into the into the playground, is from right, what I remember. Right. Yeah, and uh, and everywhere you went to play, I would say Tillman played at Brooks, but Brooks wasn't like it is today. I mean, it was it was 
worn down. It had not been taken care of. They had motorcycle races on it, and and you can imagine what the outfield was. And the infield was they played slow pitch softball, so it was dirt. Yeah. And they finally got it going back, but uh, then we played at uh, field one at Lone Oak. And Reed, of course, played behind the elementary school, and he played at their uh, recreational facility where they had their baseball fields on the big field. And we went went on, went on, went on. Finally, one day, I just walked in. I said, I'm going to quit if we don't get a ball field. And they said, why do you want a ball field? And I said, well, the fence down there, it's a recreational thing, and if you go up, there's little spikes of wire go up, and somebody comes down and catches it in the arm. I said, I don't want to be the one getting sued, and I know you all don't want to be the one getting sued. And they sort of listened to that being sued part, and we got a new field and it, it behind Henry Lono Elementary, and then he's got a new one eventually over behind uh, their field, and Raylan just got theirs upgraded. Yeah, got fences and, yeah. fences and yeah, and more dirt brought in. And, so, so it was a pretty raw game back then in the day, to it say was. the least. Yeah, it was. And you, uh, and nobody really, nobody had lights. I mean, Brooks had lights, but the first time we turned our lights, we had when we got lights. First time we turned them on, we had one pole come on. It lit up our field more than what Brooks was. But then Brooks got the new lights, and you know, became a, a real first class ballpark. Yeah. Well, talk about in your early coaching experience. Was there was there anything that stood out to you that that kind of surprised you when you became a head coach, or something? Maybe was there something you hadn't anticipated or thought about, uh, or what what surprised you the most? Well, I guess the thing surprised was the responsibility you had. You you had to get kids, and you had to have tryouts, and you try to you know it, it was hard if you were a freshman. Uh, you know, to make Taylor's no JV. So finally, Tony, Tony Burkeen and I got together and we talked. We said, we got to have a JV program. We're losing these young kids. They, you know, they get a better taste. They got cut. And some of them was the first time had ever been cut. And, and they were pretty decent, but just couldn't compete with. And let me interrupt you. Tony Burkeen was at Reedland at the was time. At Reedland, yeah. Right. We started our JV program and I went 30 something days in a row. On the baseball field, never, never really had any time off. Had small kids at home, and my wife had to take care of them. And they got to come to the ballpark and watch. But it was um, it was different. And, we, of course, we had no assistant coaches. And I guess my biggest surprise was going to play somebody like Henderson County, which started upgrading, and they had two or three assistant coaches, not counting all their volunteer coaches. And I'm going me and so we sort of negotiated and got 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 assistant coach and of course when i left when i retired in 07 i had a three three or four assistant coaches which the booster club took care of and got that and then all the schools started getting lights in western kentucky and they really started upgrading their facility and they started playing jv ball you know the parents said why do you want lights i said because we start a varsity game at 4 o'clock. And if we don't get done by 6 or 6.30, we don't have any time for the young kids to play. They get to play maybe an inning, and then it's dark then. So we had lights of, you know, player JV. And then, of course, now everybody plays the night games. And 
Murray State's got their lights now. It's nice. Yeah, it, Murray State finally mm. caught up. It only took them, what, to 2015 <laughs> to get lights? Right. So, yeah, I'm proud of that. Yeah. I, that's why I was going to ask you about yeah. that. It seems like uh, the high schools led the way for Murray in that yeah. instance. And, you know, then we ended up with uh, parents started coming up and said, what do you want? I said, well, you know, an outdoor batting cage would be nice, like PCC had one. And bingo, we got it. They they raised money, and they, they built it. Uh, the parents put the lights up. We redid the infill, got it laser graded and all that, and put the uh, crimson clay on it from Alabama and uh, got it shipped up. And got it, they uh, got this outfit out of Paris to spread it for us and all that. And, uh, you know, just really our, our fields got real good. I know we had a, we used to have a jamboree at our place. A lot of colleges out of St. Louis there had come, and they go, this is a high school field. You got better facilities than we got. I said, "Well, it's because of parents." I yeah, said, talk about that. The the role, the good role of parents that you had through the years, assisting you, like you're talking mm-hmm. about. Hey, I, we need a hidden cage. Bam, they take care of it. We mm-hmm. need this. But talk about some of the some of the things that parents did for your program through the years. Well, they it basically the exit got to the point where if you went to the principal and said, "I need this," they would say, "Why?" I said, well, because we only started off with three dozen balls, and it rained a lot, and we we need more balls, or we need some bats, or we need this. And so it was like you owed them a favor. So finally, I just told the booster club, I said, we're going we're gonna to pay our own way, and we did. Mm-hmm. Now, the school paid for the umpires, but we paid our own way. We raised money. We put the, like I said, we put the lights up. The school board paid for the, for the electricity part. Uh, we just fixed our field. Uh, if it, it needed a new fence, we sometimes the board would help us out. We we did a but the parents. I mean, without them, we had. And when I when I left, we had five sets of uniforms. People said, "Well, that's ridiculous." But it, at the time, it wasn't. We had white, we had gray, then we had our specialty colors. Like our school was purple and gold. Mm-hmm. We had purple. We had. Uh, some, some with gold, and we had a black, and because everybody in that time started going to black, using black as a you know as a dominant color, and we had a, we had a black top with a white pant with a black pinstripe or black stripe going down it. We had black pinstripes to go with it, and we had a lot of different things. So when Gino took over for me, he had a whole lot of practice stuff he could use because yeah. we had a lot of yeah. Well, and the moms uh, probably really liked you, too, whereas they didn't have to wash clothes every night for the right. next day. You know, that's one complaint I hear at the house is, you know, gosh, I wish you had a few more uniforms because I'm having to constantly rewash mm-hmm. these uniforms. So, yeah. And a lot of times when we went, when we started going to Florida and started going to Millington, these big tournaments, uh, we got on a red dirt field, red clay. We wouldn't wear our whites because... If you tried to wash them there, you would run them. Then yeah. you get that red stain. Yeah. So we had enough uniforms we could go and didn't really mess anything up. We you know going with what kind of what you were just talking about there when you went to Millington and talk about the role that playing good competition uh, did for you. You know, not not playing the weak sisters, but really seeking out better teams and, and talk about how that helps your team and and kind of your philosophy about your mindset of going and finding good teams to play and bringing them in even. Yeah. It started off, we, you know, I inherited a program, and I would call Mayfields. I mean, Mayfield was really good, and they'd say, 
uh, are you going to play us every year? And I said, well, yeah, I will. And uh, Roger Fields was the coach, and we got the yeah, no, we no, we gone to college together. And we sat down, and we you know we worked out a schedule, and we started playing a harder team. Nothing against the what we call the the weak sisters of the poor, but you gain nothing. I could go down and get beat by Millington three to two, and gained a whole lot more than what I could going down and beating somebody twenty to nothing. You know, Cairo tried a little private school, Camelot. We, I mean, two innings, we'd be done, 20 nothing. I mean, you know, just mercy rule. I mean, even though we didn't have one, we put one on mm-hmm. because it was ridiculous. And you, and you just feel bad beating teams that bad mm-hmm. as well. And you really – you walk away rather than being glad you won a game. You thought, man, that really wasn't good for us or them. Yeah. And then it got to the point – I just told them, I said, it's about you all. I said, I got my wins. I said, we're going to play tough competition. It's about you all. I want you all to be seen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get, I mean, that's how you get scholarships. You go out and, uh, you know, we had Harris pitching for us and all the scouts come out to see him. They saw the other kids too. Yeah. And plus they saw the opposite, you know, and a lot of people got seen by, you know, by pro scouts. No matter if we were on the road or, you know, I mean, down we used to go down and play uh, Houston High School in Collierville, their place, and uh, Coach called and I said, "You got an opening?" I said, "Let me." Ch-. I said, "Yes, we do. We'll be there," and we didn't care. We'd go to Florida, we'd go to Memphis, we'd go to Nashville, go to Cook, uh, Clarksville. Went to Cookville once, but <laughs> once was enough. <laughs> <laughs> you got all, 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 all the home wanted. cooking you wanted at Kirkville, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that. Well, talk about talk about what the, your players, right? Talk about what you were looking for whenever you had tryouts and, and whenever you were looking for a player. Talk about some of the things that you were looking for and, and wanted in a ball player. What, what were some of the intangibles or, or what you, the things you were looking for? Well, first of all, my tryouts were a lot different. Mostly. Ours was more like a. A spring training. We'd go out. We'd start February the fourteenth. We'd hit. We'd go watch. You know, I'd go watch them hit and see who could hit and what. And my philosophy was: if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. And same way with pitching. Your mechanics might not be a hundred percent correct, but if you're throwing strikes, I'm not going to try to fix it. Now, if it gets to the point where you can't hit or you can't throw strikes, then we're going to work on it. But we just did fundamentals. We worked on fundamentals, and I took the kids who, I mean, the fundamentals, uh, you could tell who enjoyed the game, who didn't enjoy the game, who wanted to stay afterwards and work, who wanted to get there early and work, and uh, you just got to know your players, the ones that really wanted to play, and the ones that could play, and they're doing all this, but really without any pressure, and then all of a sudden you say, all right, now we've had our fundamental two or three weeks, and it's getting close to season to start, so... We're going to have tryouts Friday and Saturday. Of course, you pretty well. It's, it was a lot like Legion. They knew who was going to be on the team before they had tryouts. Yeah, just kind of the eye test. Yeah, told yeah, it yeah. To, yeah. Talking about the fundamentals and so forth, and and one thing I know, one advantage I think that you had uh, being at Lone Oak is you had a really good. Uh, it's not really in the little league system. I guess it's Corey League system, mm-hmm. but you had a really solid Corey League system there in Lone Oak. Talk about how that helped you and maybe uh, some of your influence with the league. And did, did you work with the league and kind of let them know what you wanted? I went down and watched. And, uh, you know, I, I made myself available. Mm-hmm. And, 
if a kid needed help hitting the ball, we'd, we'd work on it. If he needed pitching and, you know, I'd give them some hints and, and, and try this. <clears throat> of course, you don't want to get a kid 10 years old throwing a curveball and a slider and all that. But as I got older, showed them how to grip it and how to throw it and how to release it. And, yeah. uh, and do you think do you think that's important for uh, a coach – uh, at a high school level to to be seen at the lower levels and let them know that you're interested uh in in what's going on cuz I mean that's your feeder system and and it w- doesn't matter whether it's football, basketball, baseball. Do, do you feel that's an important thing for the head coach to be visible and be seen in a, in a place like that? I do. I do. I went I mean I I went and after I got married and so we had kids, uh, well, you know, we went and the kids started playing, got on the board and mm-hmm. and uh you know, try try to make it better because mm-hmm. it's making me better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, uh, just I a win two, win. Right, and I had two sons that that played, and they played on pretty good teams, and I I helped out because I knew that was going to be my future. And when they well, one year, this, uh, my youngest son, when they popped in, there was like sixteen, eighteen freshmen. That made the that made the fresh. We had a freshman team, a JV team, and a and a varsity team. And uh, seniors come to me and said, "Would you bring these two freshmen up that are pretty good?" Well, if they want to, you know, I don't want to put pressure on them, but mm-hmm. if they want to come up, of course, you know, yeah, they liked it. One of the things when you're talking about a successful program or a successful program um, is developing the younger kids and giving them playing time. So what what was your philosophy about working younger kids into the, the varsity? How, how did you do that? Was it a case-by-case deal, or, or did you have kind of a, a strategy or a, a way that you, of doing it? No, it was a case-by-case deal. I mean, you got to – I had maybe in the – 35 years coaching, I might have had six freshmen that started, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a couple more, but I mean, but they were, you know, your mature kids, mm-hmm. and, and they played, and, you know, they were big mature kids, and I mean, they, they could play football as a freshman on varsity level, and uh, basketball, and, and baseball, they were just, they were there, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they were ready. Yeah. Well, people a lot of times view success from a wins loss standpoint, but you know we've we've learned on this podcast and talking to other coaches that you know that's not the only way you define success. How would you define success in your program? Uh, maybe aside from wins and losses, what would you what would you say to that? Well, I guess it was the number of kids that I had to try out, and and the number of I mean, and they come back. After they graduate, they didn't stay. They'd come back and they'd watch and and, and come to the ball game and ask you how you were doing and uh, see you play. And, you know, like uh, one of my early kids that I had was Dean Hayes. Well, Dean Hayes ended up being the, the top state trooper in the state of Kentucky. And he came back here and he helped me coach for a while. When I coached my last regional tournament, he was here. And and had a really good career. Didn't he pitch at Alabama? Oh, yeah, pitched at Alabama. In the College World Series. Series right. Yeah, yeah. What you're saying there, and it, it's very well said, is you coach the kids – and then you you want them to go on and be successful, and then come back and 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 be kind of part of a community of and you know I know you guys Lone Oak the Lone Oak people that I played baseball with 
they view themselves as lone oak baseball players, and that's they that's how one of the ways they identify themselves. And that's got to make you feel proud that that they feel that way. Yeah, it did. I mean, it's you know the thing is we of course I told them first of all you're a student and you better have your grades. And if it come district tournament time week and you weren't eligible to play, life was not. Let's put it this way: life would not been good for Dax mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can I mean, imagine. It would not have been, I mean, it wasn't good. And you had to get eligible again. And then you had to work your way back in the lineup. Back when I first started coaching, a lot of you schedule ball games spring break, and all of a sudden, kids said, Hey, coach, we're going to Florida. Hey, we're going to Colorado. I said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You will this year. But you caught me by surprise. But from now on, it, the spring break belongs to me. Because sometimes that's the only, you know, the first year I coached, we had 33 games scheduled, played 13. Yeah. That's counting the district. Yeah. And uh, Gene Roof, was that's who we played, and we beat them. But there were 27 walks. Wow. In the the seven-inning ball game. And, of course, we played at Raylan and no lights, and it was – it was, uh, I mean, it took forever. It was started at daylight, and it was about dark when we got done. But uh, it was just, I mean, the pitchers, we hadn't hadn't played. Mm-hmm. And the pitchers were what? It's like watching uh, major leagues after the All-Star game. Uh, these relievers come in, can't throw a strike. Well, t- talk about talk about some of the coaches that you coached against that you have g- memories of, uh, you know, being good competitors with, and also some maybe some of your memories. I know Chris Hicks talked a lot about oh. you. You know, he. I'll even go and actually let me let me uh, kind of knock that question down. Let me throw this at you. You know, Chris credits you with raising the level of baseball in Western Kentucky. I don't know if you heard him say that on the yeah, podcast. I did. I did. What, what's your reaction to that? How would you um, how would you answer that? Or what what do you think he was talking about there? Well, I think he was talking about us starting a JV program and building up our fields and uh, fixing up our schedules where, you know, we played somebody and, and people knew who you were. At one, t- at one time, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but – we went over to Raylan to play, and it was hot. And we played, we played Raylan, beat them, then turned around, and played Trey County, and got beat. Shouldn't have got beat, but we got beat. But we were ranked third in the state of Kentucky and fifteenth in the nation. USA Today poll because superintendent come back and he said, "Darn, I go to Las Vegas to a convention, and what's the first thing to do? Pick up paper. There's Lono, fifteenth in the nation." I said, "Well." I said, we're, we're striving to get better. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing was, and they would tell you, well, now, Dax, old buddy, I used to be baseball coach. And shoot, we'd practice about four or five times before the uh, season started. And we'd get a couple dozen baseballs, and we'd schedule about eight or nine ball games. And we just had a blast. I said, if I did that, you'd fire me. Yeah. You know, as superintendent, I said, you'd fire me. I said we built the programs up now where we want where we want them, and I guess that's where it came. And like I told you, I, I was a little bit of an outlaw. Mm-hmm. I, I when I first started, I, I just told him I said uh, everything is going to be done equally in the region. It's going to be equal. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, Pook Tillman was the number one number one program, and and uh, they sort of run the show. And I said we're, we're not going to do it. And and I told her superintendent, 
right there. I said, he said, why are you doing this? I said, because we're going to be equal. Well, t- talk about you. We were talking before the show. Talk about uh, how they, you know, they used to have, I guess, the district tournament every year at Tillman, yeah, and the and they had their the regional there, and they had their umpires. And talk about some of the things you did there to kind of shake it up. Well, we uh, first year we got to host the district tournament. I said, not only are we uh, host the district tournament, I said, but we're going to get umpires outside the region. Of course, that's what they do in the regional. And they said, but they said, but it's going to cost us too much money. I said, well, not we don't make any money. We'll all, we'll all chip in and pay for it. That's the way it's going to be. To try to make everybody equal in the eyes of the umpires. And I mean, we had some good umpires, and I'm not saying they cheated, but they, I mean, we did not have an assigning association at that time. You had to get your own umpires. Of course, they got the best because they. Everybody wanted to call for the, you know, the, the big school, but that changed. Mm-hmm. And you and you had the votes being the county school, right? Oh, being a county, yes. <laughs> the three county schools versus the city school, right. right in that district, yeah. And, uh, so they actually at one time Ballard was in our district, and Saint Mary was in our district, and then it then it switched, and then it ch- the state changed it, and we were just uh, the three county schools in Tillman. We tried a seat. Tillman didn't want to seat, and it had to be a unanimous vote, and they would not seat. So, 1987. My sophomore year. Tillman draws Lone Oak. We beat Tillman in the district tournament. They don't, that's the first time they hadn't been in the regional tournament in years. But we drew them right off the bat. And guess what? Next year, we seeded. They yeah. decided they wanted to seed. Which is a fair way to do yeah. it. I mean, you, what what good is the regular season if you if you're not really playing for anything? In essence, in the yeah. district tournament, you know, um, Chris Hicks talked about one of the things he talked about coaches and and in the area that there was really a fraternity of you guys. And you know, he talked about painting fences with you and and doing things like that. Kind of talk about that and maybe some of the guys that you recall that you have good memories with and and so forth. Well, Chris, when he beat me in the regional tournament. 91, he said, uh, would you scout for me? The second region was playing in Henderson County. And I said, yeah, I'll scout. But then he told me, he said, well, they've been rained out and they're going to play most of their games Saturday. I said, well, no problem. So I left here. It was warm. I had shorts on. Man, I I drive out to B.F. Marantz house, get a suburban. He was A.D., got a suburban, drove it up to uh, Henderson. And I'm scouting. Henderson and Caldwell, and it, it was cold. Wind was blowing, and so I said, "B.T. Wayne was a good friend. He was Henderson. I said, "B.T., do you have an extra jacket? I, I didn't leave anything." I said, "I'm freezing." I said, "That wind's cold." Well, he went and got me a, a jacket, and I put it on. And Beavers from Caldwell County looked and he said, "Well, I'd give you a Caldwell jacket if you wanted one." <laughs> Reedland went to uh, I think, and they had to go to. Uh, Glasgow to play, and I told him I said I, got, I stayed at Henderson County and up won it, but I I had him well scouted, mm-hmm. and I said this is our pictures. Of course, I got to see everybody's pictures, and I said here's our batters, and here who can hit and who can't hit. I said this is our best picture, but if you're if you're patient with him, you'll be able to hit him. I said but if you go up there and swing at everything that he throws, 
it's a strike. I mean, it's not a strike. And, and uh, I said, you can't beat him. I said, that's how this kid, he, he nibbles a lot, and if you swing at the balls, you can't hit him. And he threw hard, so read and beat him. Mm-hmm. And then they had to. You had about two or three day rain delay, and then they had Blake Glasgow, and Glasgow got them at the substate. But, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, things like that, and, yeah. and we got we all got along. And old Frank Wright had a, he had a player, and he said, "What's he doing wrong?" You know, we're playing a varsity game, and I said, "I'll tell you what, I mean, it's the mechanics. What he's doing wrong." And I think I told you when you was uh, playing Legion ball what you was doing wrong. Yeah, you, you know, I mentioned that uh, Doc and I, and I guess even Hicks and I talked about that, that, that you, you were just in our dugout watching you, you gave me some pointers. Baseball's baseball, and that's what I was here to make it better in this part of the state. And, yeah. And uh, if it come back to bite me, it just come back to bite me. But if it, if it helps somebody, then – well, I can assure you, uh, based on our success with Lone Oak, it, it never came back to bite you. The help you gave me, <laughs> for sure, for sure. You guys, I know y'all knocked uh, you knocked uh, us out my uh, junior year, I believe. You y'all beat us. We're probably uh, probably the best Marshall team we had while I was there. Yeah. Uh, and y'all had Buyer, and yeah. uh, and they made the decision to hold me till the next day. And and I remember you told me something. Uh, years later when we talked about it and you said, you know, you, you can't try to win that game tomorrow. You got to win the one today. Right. And, and I never forgot. I, I learned the hard way. Sometimes you go, I mean, you say, well, we're going to win. Uh, we, we're going to win this game. So I'll, I'll pitch off. You don't pitch it. You got to, you got to throw your best. Then like district tournament, you throw your best. And then you're going to region. Yeah. And then if you got another good pitcher, then you got a chance winning the district and, and being, uh, been getting, uh, in the winner's bracket. I learned the hard way one time. I pitched off and got beat. Talk about the year you won the region. Uh, what, what year was that? 87. 1987. Okay. Talk about that team. And I know you you know, you know had eight other teams that, that were runners up. But what was it special about that team that, that got you through and won the region? Was there anything – that you can recall that you can point out and said okay this is this is what propelled that team to win the region or what were your thoughts on them well we had a, we had a real good team in 86 we got beat by Callaway at Murray playing on that 365 field they had the old the old field and most kids I had that were picked and playing were uh didn't play they were they were JV players but they saw the heartache that we went through and uh, no, they went to the dugout and they rolled a little thing. Rolled to Louisville starts here, and you know, and that was before the first game was ever played. And they were dedicated and they and they listened. And we had all oh, we had fun. I mean, it was just a good a good thing. And of course, we had a no drinking rule, mm-hmm. and we got it. We lost a kid during spring break. Mm-hmm. Who, last kid in the world I was just suspected of doing that but he had a little wreck and had a little alcohol in his breath and it was on already radio the next morning so I mean parents said what are you going to do I said well he's gone I'm sorry he's gone it's just, just the way it is yeah. then we go to the we bond together and they uh, they had a party a graduation party at, at the senior one of the seniors houses and we were there and we stayed there all night long then we went on and went on to play in the state but Played Owens, we drew Owensboro and ended up winning the whole, the whole shooting match. But they were good, and we should, we could have beat them, but they had a one pitcher. So, you, so you think probably the just the bond and and learning from that game the previous year, right. and then of course I know you had good players, obviously. Yeah, 
because they had fun. Or there are some winning teams that just don't have a lick of fun, and it's just so forced. But but I think that's a key element in 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 having good memories. Is you know you can have fun, but you can be serious as well. When it's time to work, it's time to work, and when it's time to have fun, you can have fun. And and there's kind of a maturity that you kind of have to have to be able to do that in baseball. Uh, would you agree with that? You know, it's like I told them. I said, folks, I hate to tell you this. I'm a 1960 or 1960s guy coaching in the 2000s, so I have my way of doing it, and that's the way we're going to do it. You can like it. Or you can leave, and that's the and But we had, but one thing we was going to have fun. Would you say, you know, talking about the span, you know, you, there's an incredible 35 year span you had. You know, one one thing we talk about is is a vision that a that for a coach to be for a team to be successful, the coach has to have a vision and has to relate that vision to their team. You've got to believe. I, I know going just thinking back to my basketball days at Marshall County, Alan Hatcher had a vision. And and we believed that we could beat anybody. And the reason we believed is because he told us we could. And and we worked hard. And then we, we saw ourselves playing teams that, you know, two years before we might have said, man, we could never play with those guys. But but was that – do you feel like that was something that you laid out to the kids was a vision of, of we're starting here and here's where we're going to get to? Our goal every year was to win the regional tournament and go, and go to state and win state. But – it's not always meant to be. I mean, there's little obstacles that jump up, like your starting pitcher gets his thumb broken batting practice in the morning you get ready to go down and play. That one year, let's see, we played Reedland and Tillman. We had 39 runs on 39 hits in two games and wasn't running up the score. It just the ball looked like a, a beach ball coming in, and we were hitting it all over the park. So all of a sudden, we get ready to leave, and your starting pitcher, last swing, it breaks his thumb, the ball rides in on him, he hits it, so he's gone. And so you end up, well, what are we going to do? And we made some decisions, and everything we hit, St. Mary caught. And they beat us 10 to 9. But we, I mean, we had a chance. They were making acrobatic catches in the outfield. I mean, circling the wagon four or five times, sticking your glove out. <laughs> yeah. Third baseman leaps in the air for a line drive, and he's looking on the guy. I said, "Look in your glove." You know, I mean, it was just—it was just meant that we were not going to win that ball game. It, you know, and it, it, it always seems to me, and and maybe it's because I love baseball so much. But it always seems to me that the best team doesn't always win in baseball. Whereas, you know, football, generally the better team wins for the most part. Uh, basketball, generally the better team wins. But, you know, baseball, man, the ball bounces a little funny. Or, or you, like you said, depending on your pitching matchup or if a pitcher gets hurt. I mean, it, it's it's amazing that the, the best baseball team does not always win. I mean, I look at, at Geno's McCracken County team this year. What were they, 38-2 and two or something? Something like that. You know, going into it, and and I really, be honest with you, I I didn't think anyone would be able to play with them. But hey, a bounce, a bounce here, an error here that that you haven't made all season, and and bam, you're out. You know, and so it's it, baseball is a funny game in that way, and frustrating as well, <laughs> obviously. All right, Coach, a couple of things I want to talk about with your career is, uh, you know, for for one, the field's named after you at Lone Oak. Talk about what an honor that was and, and how that kind of happened. Well, the parents got together again, the parents, and they got together and said, we're going to name the field after you. But 
they had the, the board had to approve it, and and they did, and it was an honor to have it named after you. I mean, and and be alive and still be alive, and it's in the field still there with your name on it. But that's how that came about. You know, thinking back when you told them, "Hey, build me a field," yeah. uh, or I believe it, would, would you have ever dreamed that it would eventually be named after you? That field? no, I mean, but the, the end up of what we had. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, you, you know, parents and. I, I, I always loved my parents, mm-hmm. and I, everybody said, "Well, how many how many incidents would you have with parents?" I said, "I was there. People knew how I was, and they left me alone." Don't you think a lot of that was the fact that you were you were level, and and everybody knew the rules walking in, mm-hmm. and you made it clear what your expectations mm-hmm. were. You had high expectations for your program, for your kids, and and by setting that. You take care of a lot of the problems right there. Yeah, a lot of problems. I mean, you know, I said, I just told them, hey, you got a problem about playing down? Don't talk to my coaches. If you don't like playing down, I'm sorry. I hope your son gets better. You know, a couple of the coaches we've talked to said that at the end of the day, like playing time is an issue. That's kind of a parent problem because he said at the end of the day, or a couple of them have said, at the end of the day, the kids know where they stand. You as a coach are letting them know that every practice, every game, where they're falling down. And and I know Chris mentioned that. He said, hey, my kids knew why they were or weren't playing because I was telling them every day why they weren't. Would you have a similar situation with that? Well, yeah, kid. I said, I said, well, if you, want to know, you can't hit, you can't feel. That's <laughs> uh, that right now. You know, yeah. it's that's it's a major issue. Yeah. I said, now, if you want to start hitting and feeling the ball like you're capable of doing, that's well, give, you know, give you that shot, but you got to wait for your chance. Well, coach, another thing too, uh, we talked about, and I see your your big ring there, mm-hmm. and I know something you're very proud mm-hmm. of was being elected to the high school ba- baseball coaches Hall of Fame in Kentucky. Can you talk about that and well, and, and how that came? about? about my son my youngest son made the all-star team his junior year and we were playing at henderson a coach from uh, bourbon county was officer and uh and he said i've heard of you but he said how many wins you got and i said ah. i said i think about 400 and he said 400 he said well he said you ought to be considered being a hall of fame well, did he think anything of it and then my buddy bt wayne he, uh, he was in there, and then Bob Mantooth from Apollo, and, of course, Carrie, uh, Carrie Miller's in it now, and Jimmy Long, Jimmy <clears throat> Brown, he's umpire, mm-hmm. uh, been in and, uh And that was another thing I, I wanted to do. I want to get more of our coaches involved in this in this process because you did get to go and play uh, in all-star games and we play west play the east and they just say i never lost uh we tied one but we <laughs> never lost them another couple of little items we want to throw at you and get your your feedback on is uh multi-sports you know you a lot of people these days uh, a lot of coaches uh, maybe are pushing for their kids to just play one sport or specialize. What's your thoughts on specialization in, in high school sports? My thoughts were the more sports you could play, the better you're going to be as an athlete. And I never asked a kid not to play a sport. And, you know, Long Hawk had good basketball. And a lot of times it was maybe a week or two before the season started I got the kids. But they were good enough athletes. They could they – could, you know, make up the difference. But football makes you tough. You get the lift weights. The basketball, you get the good conditioning and running. And you got to be pretty well tough because you get 
slammed to the floor or somebody throws an elbow and hits you. So if you wanted to run track, that was fine. In this world of specialization, I guess some it just comes down to some of the coaches maybe feel pressured to win, and and I guess maybe that's kind of what's pushing it. Was that would be what you would think? I think so. Yeah, yeah they, and they, I mean, it's almost everything's almost year round now. Mm-hmm. But I always told them, I said, summertime, we need to distance ourselves. I'll be here if you need me. If you if you're having problems, we'll, we'll work it out. But I try to work it out. But as far as coaching the team, I thought we needed separation. Yeah, I mean, we start in February and get done in the middle of June. So, mm-hmm. so, so you th- you thought it was a good idea for them to get time away from you. So, right. obviously, you were a, a big advocate of post thirty one. Right. A lot of your players played for them as I did, and and I know you were around, but you weren't around too much. I mean, you were around checking in, mm-hmm. letting them know, letting your kids know you were watching. I thought that was really neat uh, that the coach that your the coach did care. Let's talk about. Um, Travel baseball. What's your thoughts on, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the great feeder system that Lone Oak Quarry League, and, and I guess it's now the West Kentucky League, uh, was for Lone Oak. But talk about your thoughts on travel baseball. Is it a positive, a negative, or, or what, what are your general thoughts about it? And, and you know, one one thing I see as, a, as an issue with travel ball is, is really the quality of the coaches. Mm. You, you have people a lot of times who – Maybe didn't play ball, and they're they, but they're really good at organizing, and they get all these kids together, and they they throw them out there to play, but they're not teaching them the right way to play baseball, and which I think you'd agree is is probably a huge problem in it. You, you probably saw kids that come into you that had been taught fundamentals, and you right. had to start from ground zero with them. Coach, you know, looking back on your your career, what what wisdom or bits of knowledge would you share with a coach who's just getting started? Is there anything you you would look back and tell you know Jim Mizell at the beginning of his career something he needed to know or something you could help him with? Anything jump off the page for you? I always told him. I said when I when I go through a season, I have not learned something new. It's time to get out. So I guess in '07, I, I didn't learn anything new. Yeah. So it was time to get. But yeah, I mean, I knew I still wanted to coach, but I'd accomplished and and I had good players coming back. And I thought, well, I don't want to leave the covered bear and stay another year and let them come. But Gino stepped in, done an outstanding mm-hmm. job. But uh, new coach going in, you just got to have dedication, mm-hmm. and I mean, you got to study the game and you got to know it. It's like you know. It was hard for me when I coached my last game, and and then I I, I watched Ron Polk coach his last game at Mississippi State, and I knew what he was going through. You know, I said, you know, it's it, it, all those years at Mississippi State and all the things, and he and there you are, you down your last game, and it's it's do or die, and you're always going to remember it for your last one. And I think it's a testament, Lone Oak baseball. It's a testament that Geno was able to come in and follow you and continue to build on the things that the foundation that you had built because it was a great foundation obviously the number of wins you had the guys you produced the facilities you left you know you left it in great shape and right. it was obvious that you did and i think that's a definitely a credit to you again man i'm really tickled that that we got you out here uh, i know i hit you up on facebook the other day to get you out and speak to you and i was so tickled you could do it so quickly and, uh, and get you out here man i really enjoyed it i, I know as a as a guy who played against you uh, and and everything. It was a real thrill to get you on here today, and I really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking to us and being on DaxMyHand.com. Well, Dax, I appreciate you inviting me and uh, Shane. And 
I enjoyed it, and it's uh, maybe everybody find out he's not such a bad guy after all. <laughs> We've always known that. We've always known that. All right, thanks again.